Section 8 of the American Bee Journal, Volume 33, Number 2, January 11, 1894. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rocker. The American Bee Journal, Volume 33, Number 2, January 11, 1894, by Various. Bees Improving Themselves, Etc. Written for the American Bee Journal by Dr. E. Gallup. The second season after moving to Iowa, I had occasion to go to Postville on the stage. At Decorah, we stopped for dinner and to change horses. I saw a man in a backyard all bundled and tied up from head to foot. As I approached to see what was up, he ordered me away, saying that I would get stung to death etc. But seeing that he was at work with bees, I still advanced. But he said, very excitedly, you foolish man, I tell you to keep away from here, or you will certainly get stung to death. I remarked that bees very seldom sting a fool, etc. On inquiry, I found that he was to receive five dollars for destroying a very powerful colony that had been in a large hive for a number of years and had never swarmed and had become so vicious and strong in numbers that it was dangerous to live in the neighborhood. Here was the largest honeybees that I ever saw, without an exception. They looked as though they were a cross between a common honeybee and a bumblebee, large, light gray, hairy bees, with quite a flat and stubbed abdomen. Their wings were more like a drone than a worker, etc., The operator said that they were vicious Italians. One thing was certain, he went about the operation of destroying them in the most awkward manner possible. Now in this case, and all the cases that I mentioned last week, were where bees had improved themselves, especially in size of colonies, working qualities, etc. Thinking the matter over, and dreaming of large bees, large hives, and large colonies, etc., for a long time, led me to get up the large twin hive that Mr. Doolittle mentions in one of his articles. My standard hive contained 12 gallop frames. My first large hive contained 4 times 12, or 48 frames, 24 in front and 24 in the rear. The ballots of large hives that I made contained 36 frames, 18 in each end. By closing the passages between the two apartments, I could work two colonies in each hive, if my plan did not work to suit, but I never worked two in a hive. My first and earliest natural swarm I hived in the largest hive, confined them to one end, and used a division board. As soon as they commenced building drone comb, I filled out with ready-made worker comb, and just before basswood bloom opened the passageways, filled up with comb, and spread the brood one half in one end and one half in the other. The queen was from my grim Hamlin stock and extra prolific, and she spread herself grandly in the laying business. We had the best and longest basswood bloom that I ever saw, and I took from that hive by extracting from one end one day and the other end the next day, 600 pounds of honey in 30 days, not by actual weight, but by measure. 
It was so thick and matured that it all candied in short order that I took out that season. I took in all about 750 pounds for the season, besides what was left in the hive, and it was left completely full. This was all the product of the bees of one queen. The following season, none of my large colonies swarmed, but all superseded their queens. Their queen cells were extra large and contained extra large queens, with the largest amount of royal jelly left in the cells that I had ever before observed. Now you had better believe Gallop hollowed and swung his old hat. He had got a non-swarmer, a great honey yielder, etc. You could hear him from Maine to California through the American Bee Journal. In fact, they heard him in Germany. But the third season, the colonies in large hives were the first to cast swarms nearly three weeks earlier than those in my standard hives. And here was another dilemma. The swarms were so large that I had to pile up three standard hives on top of each other in order to get the bees all in. The fourth season, they cast swarms again, but here was another drawback. The fall was an extra open one, and they piled in so much pollen that they nearly ruined one half of the combs. And then, having so much pollen, they got the diarrhea before spring and dwindled badly. But I demonstrated one fact, which I believe to be a fact, that one can rear long-lived queens, large and prolific, also that their workers are longer-lived than ordinary, else how could all those extra-large colonies that I mentioned both blacks and Italians keep up their extra-large number of workers the entire year. I forgot to mention that I had two three-quarter-inch holes in the ends of those hives, one near each side at the top, and when the bees were gathering so rapidly, one could see the stream in early morning passing out of those holes, thus demonstrating that evaporation of nectar was going on very rapidly inside the hive water would also be dripping from the lower entrances. We understand that a portion of that probably was from the breath of the bees. Now we have demonstrated, at least to our own satisfaction, that bees can certainly be improved under judicious and intelligent management instead of retrograding. And the great wonder to me is that they have held their own under the bad management of as large a proportion of queen breeders as we formerly had. Now, Mr. White, your argument that the blacks are superior to Italians because one can rear black bees from Italians under unnatural and unfavorable conditions is about like the argument of the large queen breeder that I before mentioned, who claimed that when he tried to rear queens from the eggs or larvae just hatched, many of the larvae sealed up and were not larger than kernels of wheat you see that he was rearing them under the greatest possible unfavorable and unnatural conditions. Hence, his argument was drawn from false premises. You can readily see how the old man Gallop hollowed and swung his hat about his non-swarmer, etc., before he was out of the woods. No wonder that bees are afraid to sting him. I have always held that bees seldom sting a fool for that was the most satisfactory answer that I could give to a majority of people that asked why they did not sting me. Of course, I have another reason, 
but that is the quickest and easiest manner of disposing of the question and proves satisfactory to a majority of questioners. By the way, I am asked why, in my method of queen rearing, I kept the colony five days before giving the brood. Because the bees were all young or nursing bees, and it takes about that time before a sufficient number become outside gatherers, and we want all the favorable conditions possible. Santa Ana, California. End of section 8.